0: Welcome to episode six of the Barnsley Museums podcast. I'm Paul Stebbing, the Archives and Local Studies Officer at Barnsley Museums. This episode is a little bit different to the rest. Cue the music. I'm joined by Michael Hardy, the Digital Engagement Officer. A couple of years ago, we were both involved in a National Lottery Heritage-funded project called The Joy of Sound and Vision, which helped us to make our sound and film collections available for the first
1: time. This involved cataloguing and digitising our film and sound collections. The funding from the National Lottery helped us to create Barnsley on Film, a really successful exhibition at Experience Barnsley in 2018. You can now view selections from the archive on the Barnsley Museum's Film Archive YouTube channel.
0: We also uh, digitised lots of our sound collections too. Uh, we are particularly grateful to local historian and author Brian Elliott for donating a large collection of old history interviews, which you'll hear a taster of later in the podcast. We also interviewed people as part of the project. In previous episodes, you will have heard Ian McMillan and Ann Huntis talking about their memories of Barnsley. We are continuing to build our sand archive. Uh, also, the most recent additions um, are people's memories of the Barnsley Canister Company uh, and of wartime in Barnsley back in the 1940s.
1: As the National Lottery, and with it the National Lottery Heritage Fund, has recently celebrated its 25th anniversary, the first draw took place on Saturday the 19th of November 1994. It was presented by Noel Edmonds on BBC One and seven jackpot winners shared the £5.8 million jackpot. We thought we'd have our own lottery draw to select the interviews that appear in this podcast. I've been out and bought a bingo machine, and as you can hear, no expense has been spent. I realise that this is a podcast, but just think of it as theatre of the mind. So Paul, if you'd like to make the first selection...
0: We have number 30.
1: And number 30 is Selina Ray. Um, She's a scientist. Um, She's now based in London, but here she is talking about the memories of Barnsley.
2: So I am a scientist. I specifically work in the area of neuroscience, and my research interest is Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. So what we're really trying to do is understand what causes those diseases because we believe that by understanding the cause of disease, we can then develop treatments to to slow down the progress or stop that disease from happening altogether. Um, And our particular approach to, to doing that is to use cell biology. So we grow brain cells in the laboratory and we try to understand why the brain cells of somebody who has dementia are different to those from somebody who doesn't have dementia and what would you plan on on leaving school um so So, GCSEs it was always I I think I again from that time of choosing GCSE subjects I think that's when I it kind of became crystallized for me and again through through doing well at school and encouragement of teachers that I want to do A-levels and I want to use that as a stepping stone to go to university. So I think from kind of no one in my family had, had been to university before. So I think that was probably quite a big, a big deal. Um, but it kind of, you know, I thought if I if I am good at this and I enjoy it, why would I not try and take that as far as I can go with it? Um, so that's and again A level, that bridge between GCSE and A level is where you specify a bit further. Um, and I knew I wanted to do science, so I just went on to make I made the decision to do biology chemistry physics and I think there was a bit of a conversation debate about whether you know you do physics or you do maths or you do chemistry and instead of maths and things like that but I just decided no I'm going to do science I'm going to do it and it's you know the most obvious combination that you can so yeah biology chemistry and physics and I remember having um like little taster days when we were in the last year where you'd go and do you'd go to Boundsley College and do kind of a a mock class in in those subjects to get kind of a little bit of an idea of of what it would be like and I think I even did the psychology one and probably realized then and I think that's where I kind of drew the line and thought this is not really going to be for me it's interesting but it's not it's not me so yes. (laughs) yeah
0: 33. Uh, number 33 is Stanley Potter, who was a woolen mill worker. And what was your first job?
3: Beanlands Mill. Which mill? Beanlands. Beanlands? At Clayton West. Right. And it's I got that job. I set off at Saturday morning, 7 o'clock, to win me way to Clayton West, which would be 7 8 miles, something like that, and got a job. Home right proud. I've got a job, mother. Then she had to go down to Darton Coop and get a boiler suit back at uh, Book, pay weekly, because i know close to going. Like, only short trials, I ain't ain't got them long as I've been promised. Like, and uh, what they call it, then my father went all over Gexbury and roundabout for finding an old bike for about half a crown. And I spent all day Sunday on what we call Lodge Lane. Uh, learning to ride a bike because I'd never been on one to go to work at Monday morning. We had being for three past six like.
4: What sort of mill was it? Uh, woolen six. mill. Well, mill
3: yeah. And I got a uh, twelve shilling for a week's work. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Started half past six and I finished, I think, five o'clock, but I'm not dead sure of yeah, times.
4: What, were you, what, what sort of
3: things were you doing there? Uh, all out lucky Boy, like filling yeah. frames up with bobbins yeah. and that. Yeah. That was the uh, worst job because you, you said bobbins in Pengamont pegs like oh, and you nice. stick them in your hand sort of thing. Pegs how long were, you, were you doing
5: that? And
3: not a long time because, probably a few months, then I heard I could get another half a crown a week at Zakinslip's mill, which were a woollen mill and all like. Uh, so I went up to there and I got a job there for another half crown a week, which is a down time, one fourteen to six a week. But by the time of 2015, uh, and long hours I was doing at mill, long travel, and of course at Woolley, if I get a job there, I can get go down pit, pit, bottom, and get about 17 and 6 a week. Not really sure it figures, but it's somewhere around about that area, like. And uh, so I'd have an argument with my father uh, to go to Woolley. He said, You're not going down Pete. I said, Father, it's all right, it's only pit bottom, like, sort of thing. So it finished up and he said, Go on then. Because uh, in them days, if your father said you did, you did, like. If your father said you didn't, you didn't, sort of thing. At least that's where I was brought up.
1: Number 23. 23 is Margaret Clare. Um, she shares some memories of World War II.
6: Well, the war started, you see, when I was two. But I can remember walking with my dad. being just over two. And I can remember I might have been in my pram, in a pushchair, going to oil mill, walking like we used to, on a Sunday to see Grandma. And um, someone coming out of a house in in uh, Avenue and saying war started. That was September, wasn't it? September second. And vaguely I can remember my dad was going on continuing, and those words were in my mind. They must have just stuck in my mind somehow. You had a bath perhaps once a week. And uh, you didn't have things like gel and stuff that made lather then. You'd got to just make it with your soap. So you did have like little scum patches. (laughs) And I can always remember I used to get me hand with water and I I used to splash these scum patches because they were the Germans that were coming for me, you know. Terrible, that. It was at the end of the war. Mostly when you went to the cinema and you always got two films a main one and you got the news and you got the B film and, but it was at the end of the war when, when they were going into Auschwitz and Belsen and, and it always showed them with the, the people that were there and piling just thin bodies into a heap and I used to sit at the cinema with my hands over my eyes but with me fingers apart a bit, so I could see that now that really did it. Coal was rationed as well for your fire, so... And cigarettes were rationed.
1: Next one is
0: number 29. Number 29 is Roy Kilner talking about his mining memories.
5: With me snapping on me belt and me doodly on me bike. I'll be off to Barbara Main on Monday morning With me hat on me head and me pit boots on me feet We'll be off to Barbra in the morning That's and
4: absolutely...
5: That all the way over, and you've remembered
4: yeah. it after all, all those yeah, years? Yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's marvellous. So what were you doing on that first day then? Er...
5: Uh, let me tell you about the first drop. What well, you went? You went down, but straight away. Straight away, yes. Right. The so, most
0: terrifying so you, experience. Si- yeah. What what and cage? There, what was cage like then?
5: There were uh, no twenty men on on the cage. I was so small that I couldn't reach the the bar. I
0: to hold on.
5: Yeah, I held on to there were holes in the. Uh, cage, and I held on to one of them. Everybody said, that'll be all right. (laughs) Yeah. And then you dropped, what, 500 yards, I think it was, but slowed up as it got to the, you know, your your, your tummy went down, but you slowed up. And my first job was chain-dragging chains that were very essential all over the pit to be able to be hung onto the tubs about five or ten at a time and then hung onto a rope with five or six laps and hooked onto the hook. One had a hook on and one had a ring on. And my job was to take them off of the As they came up full of coal, the man who went took the chains off, he would throw them on top of the coal. My job was to take them off top of the coal and drag them through to the other side of the shaft where I'd throw them into empty tubs.
0: We have number 35.
1: Um, 35 is Ted Lunnus, who worked at Manvers at the time of the strike.
4: It, it processed coal from Barnborough, Manvers, Wath and Kilnest. And anybody else that was in trouble, they used to send it by wagon. Yeah, Aye. so were you actually there during strike
0: then, the 84-85 uh, yes. eight,
4: yeah. 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 strike? So it was the, in actual fact, they talk about the strike starting at Courtwood. Because there were no overtime ban at Mambres, weren't there, beforehand? Before of course there yeah. was. The strike For quite some time the fact. strike didn't start to go what well, yeah. did it started at Manvers. it started, it started <laughs> at the plant yeah. Yeah. I mean that that was just and you see I know George Hayes was the college, uh, was the general manager the general director at that time yeah and <laughs> I, I studied with George we were very big pals yeah I qualified with George Hayes as a caller manager, we sat our exams at the same time. He was a deputy at Bullcroft when I was a deputy at Barnborough. Mm. We studied together. Yeah. And what he told Courtwood, what he told the NUM on that fateful day, was that he'd got to reduce output by X thousand tons a year. And the way that he would do it, and we're at consultation stage now, don't forget. And the way that he would do it would be to take Corkwood out of production. But it was there, it was only at the consultation stage, he didn't say that Corkwood is going to close. That was like a suggestion, Once option. That's right. Yeah. Mm. That's right, mm. and of course, what did they do? The NUM went straight to Courtwood, mm. but we were already on strike, and and told the people at Courtwood, the area representative went to tell the court, people at Courtwood that he was going to shut the pit. He hadn't said that at all, mm. and so what did Courtwood do? They go on strike.
1: number 22. Number
0: 22 is Margaret Alsop uh, talking about club trips over the years. Did you go on holiday
7: or were it all just club trips and things, Uh well, we, couldn't, we couldn't really afford holidays when I was little mm. only club trips like and then when, like my dad were working at Pitt all the time like but as they got older now, we got older, they used to go to Blackpool mm. Everybody from Brigg used to go to Blackpool. Yeah. You could walk and see everybody. You knew I was there. In it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> when I got married to my second husband, we'd uh, been married about three weeks, and my mum had booked for Rill. Mm. And she says, Why didn't you, because we've got a flat, why didn't you come like? I said, I mm, might do. So anyway, we did. I've got two lads then. And we went, and honest to God, we, we got into Rill. She hadn't even got off bus. Don't like it. I said, Don't like what? She said, Don't like grill. I said, Mammy, ain't got there yet. That's not like it, and it's not Blackpool. And she couldn't wait to get home. Hated mm-hmm. it. Really? Because it wasn't Blackpool. Yeah. So. People yeah. get set in their ways, don't they? Yeah. They did. So, how would you sum up your childhood? What well, I can remember on it, it were happy enough, like, you know, it yeah. to. Yeah. We never went without. Yeah. If oh, I mean, she was to go to what they call it. We got checks from you shop, not shop a check. Oh, what do you call it now? She was to go to it's It used to be on Peel Square, on Peel Street. all mm. left, and she was to go there and get so much, and she pay every you know pay it back every week. Mm. So one one time she got it. It to be my turn. For your claws mm. and then next time it's did our brains turn yeah I remember saying come on we're going to get you some shows you have to check place like yeah uh, like I said, if we really needed should make sure we got it yeah
0: well I'd just like to say uh, thank you very much for listening uh, look out for for more clips and podcasts in the future in the meantime head over to Barnsley Museum's SoundCloud page